minimalists. <laughs> this is the Minimalist Private Podcast, and today we're talking about dying malls. What's up, patrons? Thank you so much for being here. Amen. We got a bunch of surprise questions to answer, but for, first, let's read some more about less. We usually read some sort of article here, but Ryan, I thought since we were talking about this on the minimal episode, uh, no one else. Th- this isn't going to make it into our next book. Uh, love people use things. We've we've cut somewhere around thirty-five thousand words. It might end up being about forty thousand by the time. We had to it, cut a book from our book. That's right. <laughs> you, a lot of books that are published are about forty thousand words. So yeah, yeah, and so. What I've uh, what I found here is there are some really great chunks. They just didn't fit perfectly into the narrative of that book. We also tried to have this whole metaphor about the Dayton Arcade in our next film, which is called Less Is Now. We mm-hmm. also cut that from the film. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's it's sad because so here's where it works. <laughs> it's going to work here on. We found the perfect place for it. Yeah, for Patreon our patrons only you'll get to experience this and this will be the only place it lives at least for now uh, this this section is called abandon situated among a skyline of half half empty skyscrapers in downtown dayton ohio sits a breathtaking collection of five interconnected abandoned buildings called the dayton arcade constructed more than a century ago this massive structure was conceived by eugene j barney as a community space and food market with independent stores offices and apartments on the upper floors this remarkable complex which was finished in 1904 and contained the latest innovations elevators (laughs) a power plant a cold storage plant is topped by a colossal glass-domed rotunda, 70 feet high and 90 feet in diameter. On a recent trip back to my hometown in 2019, I was afforded a private tour of the decaying arcade. After three decades of disuse, I could still see the immaculate artistic details that festooned the dome. Oak leaves with acorns, Garlands of grain, ram's heads, wild turkeys, and cornucopias filled with fruit and vegetables native to Ohio, below which two balconied upper floors circled the central enclave. If you look at pictures from the early 19th century, it's stunning to see the people of Dayton bustling beneath the impossibly tall glass ceilings. You see men, women and children talking together like a giant family gathered around a shared purpose. You see creativity and solidarity and love. The Dayton Arcade was a towering work of craftsmanship, a living piece of art built to foster a community. But in time, consumerism crept in like a parasite. And eventually, a group of corporate interests converted this magnificent community space into a shopping mall in the 1980s. What was once beautiful and significant and meaningful was stripped of its initial intent. Then, of course, once the parasite got what it needed from its host, only the, only the carcass remained, and it was abandoned in 1990. Mm. All that was left during my visit were its beautiful bones, a skeleton of the community that once was. In many ways, Ryan felt like his life was not unlike that of an abandoned mall. So it goes into like this whole story mm. where what I'm trying to do at the time is, so this introductory chapter of, of Love People Use Things, it is to, re, to introduce people who have never heard of the minimalist or Ryan or me or whatever to try and give them a summation, but also 
to reveal some things that we haven't talked about before. And, and so in the book, you know, I was trying to tie in the sort of abandonment. And, and, and so there's this, this line that comes right after this is years of overindulgent consumption, years of chasing, chasing ephemeral pleasures and putting people on the back burner, years of grasping for more, more, more left Ryan feeling empty inside everything gone, everything meaningful removed an empty shell. Mm. And I think that's where we are. In a lot of our lives, yeah, we ask this question all the time, Ryan. When we walk up to someone, "How you doing?" Mm. I'm good. I'm fine, thanks. But like, if I really stop and say, "No, man, like, how are you doing?" Yeah. If you really want to freak someone out, walk up to them and say, "Hey, what's wrong?" Because <laughs> something's wrong. There's always something wrong. Yeah. And and there there is all kinds of clutter in our lives. It could mm. be physical clutter, but I think that's a symptom of the mental clutter, the psychological clutter, the, the spiritual clutter, the financial clutter, the negativity clutter, the re- relational clutter in our lives. And, and this mall, this decaying mall is a symptom of something greater. Just like our stuff, the physical things in our life are a symptom of something else that's really going on. Yeah. Now there is a part in this, um, uh, in the book, this is also cut, so I can read this part as well. And uh, it's called Restoration. As Ryan changed his life, clearing there's this whole section, long, long section in between there. But uh, this sort of was supposed to end this part of the chapter here, but um, it was cut. As Ryan changed his life, clearing the remnants and prioritizing new empowering habits, which we will highlight throughout this book. It was like he was reclaiming that abandoned abandoned shopping mall as a community space, restoring his life to its initial intent. In the months after he simplified, life was difficult but more meaningful. For the first time in a long time, maybe ever, he looked beyond himself. He started focusing on community, not consumerism, giving, not taking, people, not stuff. This is often what happens as the gluttony fades. Solipsism dissipates too, making room for other people. Although it was his although it was his intended outcome, although it was not his intended outcome, Ryan was beginning to understand that he isn't the center of the universe. Mm. Coincidentally, the same thing this is the last paragraph here. The same thing is happening back in Dayton today. A city that has witnessed hard times is being repaired. By putting people first, they are rebuilding, reconnecting, finding a meaningful way forward, not through ephemeral indulgences, but through community and caring and compassion. After 30 years of sitting empty, the Dayton Arcade is being repurposed too, back to its original purpose, a place for people to gather, to share their lives together, to live in the present, not the past. If you take a look around, you can see the healing as the overdose rate continues to drop. Keep in mind, Dayton's the overdose capital of America. And people and businesses flock to rebuild the downtown core. A ton of work still needs to be done, but there's hope on the horizon. Mm. So, Ryan, let's talk about this as a, as a metaphor uh, before we get into the, the sort of history of, uh, of shopping malls here. Um, man, things can look really good. Mm. These malls, they, they're like, especially to our... There's something about our sort of reptile brain or the mammalian brain. Yeah. 
we're so stimulated. And it, it's the it's the actual reason that I dread going to malls now, like especially indoor malls. Overstimulated. I don't live too far from the Beverly Center in uh, Los Angeles. Yeah. And I have not been there since we've moved to Los Angeles mm. because I, I went there once when you and I were on tour. I had to like buy like a charger for my phone, yeah. and so like I just googled like the closest Apple store and ended up. In the in Beverly this, Center. Yeah, like next to Louis Vuitton and yeah. everything else. I've been there a couple times uh, to go to the Apple store to get stuff fixed. And it's actually surprisingly, I've never been there. And it's 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 overstimulating. I'm not denying that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's And it's the stress level like certainly rises. But it's actually not that busy. Every yeah. time I've gone, like, I mean, maybe during the holidays, it's and that's when most retail do their business anyway. What is it, like 60% of their business is done during the holidays? Yeah, depending on, on the retailer. It's upwards of that, though. So if I can avoid it, I will avoid going to a shopping mall during the holidays because yeah. I just, I, you know, it's like uh, I just don't want the flashbacks. I don't want to have to relive that, <laughs> what we used to problem. have to do. Yeah, It's the PTSD almost. But you know what? When you were reading the thing about the Dayton Arcade, it made me think about like taking a towel and like just squeezing, wringing it out and getting as much water as you can. Yeah. And like the corporations went to that mall and they just tried to like ring out. They turned m- it into a mall. In yeah. Order to, in order to ring it out. Yeah. And uh, it made me think about how uh, with myself, it was uh, trying to ring out like as much happiness as I could or contentment. And I was. Pleasure. Yeah. Pleasure. And that's, well, that's what I was confusing for happy, happiness and contentment. It was pleasure. So it was, yeah, it was shopping, it was consuming, it was doing a lot of drugs, it was, uh, yeah, medicating, self-medicating myself to just be like, I'm fine, everything's fine. But like when you strip away the drugs and alcohol, when you strip away the consumerism, there was, yeah, there was nothing there. Yeah, yeah. it was it was this empty carapace, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the, re- the reason that and we'll find a place for this to fit somewhere because it, I think it, I think it's a really well written passage, but it also it it highlights something from not it, I mean it's from our I I literally used to go there as a child. I lived a few blocks from there mm-hmm. as uh, when I was really little, and it was I still have a few like vague memories of of the place, and it was this sort of like I don't know how to describe it, but it wasn't. It wasn't what we think of as a mall now, but it was the the beginning of. Uh, I mean, it obviously they they worked really hard, like you said, to sort of ring out. They were trying to get blood out of the turnip here, yeah. And it wasn't intended for that. That that's not why it was built. Yeah. Now there are these other spaces that were built for that. So let's go into the history of of shopping malls here. You know, I never had the chance to go to the Dayton Arcade as a kid. I uh-huh. mean, we were we lived you know in Lebanon, but we always went to the Cincinnati malls. Mm-hmm. But every time I heard someone talk about the Dayton Arcade, I just imagined a really oh. big arcade with like video <laughs> games. <laughs> yeah. I always, I'd be like, can we please go to the arcade mall? Because <laughs> I just thought it was like a mall filled with video games. You would have been so disappointed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, this is from 99% Invisible. It's called The Gruen Effect. I probably won't read the whole thing, but it might be a a few jumping off points for us. Mm -hmm. There's a podcast associated with this as well. So check it out in the show notes. So this is the history of malls. Yeah. Yeah. Retail spaces are designed for impulse shopping. When you go to a store looking for socks and come out with a new shirt, it's only partly your fault. Mm. 
Um, okay, yeah, it's only partly your fault, but that's probably the biggest fault part, right? Mm. Is ultimately we do have to take personal responsibility. Yes, these companies are trying to extract the money from your checking account. They're trying to make you think as little as possible. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They're what a great way to put it. To every impulse that they can, and if they could figure out a way to play to more impulses, they would. Yeah, so you, you know about this uh, this book, Thinking Fast and Slow. I think it's by Daniel Kahneman. But uh, the 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 thought process behind it is you, there's two types of thinking with respect to this. There's fast thinking. It's gut instinct. Mm-hmm. But the problem is gut instinct also leads to impulse. My gut yeah. in- instinct is I need to consume that piece of cake, right? That's my gut instinct yeah. uh, because it's the, the impulse instinct. The thinking slow is like, well, what my what will this do for my future self? Will this hurt my future self? Will it make my future self better? Will it enhance my life in the yeah. future? What's the best long-term decision? Right. Yeah. And so I think w- the best way to, to make these decisions is to actually consider both. It's not yeah. to it's not to say, well, I'm going to I'm going to stave off all impulse. Right. It's to say, you know what? Impulse brings me pleasure, but I don't want to confuse pleasure with well-being. Yeah. Tweet that podcast, Sean. Boom. All right. So shops are trying to look so beautiful, so welcoming, the items so enticingly displayed mm-hmm. and in such vast quantity that the consumer will start buying compulsively. <laughs> this is the Gruen effect. The Gruen effect is named after Victor Gruen, born in Vienna in 1904 to a Jewish family. Gruen, born Victor Grub- Grubom, left Austria in 1938 for New York City, where he made a name for himself designing shops and retail spaces. This was a particular challenge during the lean years of the 1930s, a.k.a. the Depression, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, people had no money. They just wouldn't, wouldn't go into shops. However, Gruen figured out how to lure customers inside with amazingly appealing window displays. That's the what the Gruen effect is called. So when you walk past, yeah, think about if you go to Chicago, Miracle Mile, right? Yeah. These retailers, they, they they spend lots of money on artists, and 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 they bring they spend lots of money on the windows because the windows are what bring people in. Uh, I think about if I walk on Sunset Boulevard, yeah. in West Hollywood, yeah. that. It, you, you walk past like the Fred Siegel store or the Kith store. I was just thinking of Fred Siegel. I walk past Fred Siegel. I'm like, what the hell is that? Right. <laughs> but doesn't it ma- at least makes you ask makes that you question. Look. Oh, yeah. There's a particular store. I forget what it. Oh, I wish I knew the name of it. But it's on Robertson. Uh-huh. Uh, getting like ways you're walking towards Santa Lorenzo? Monica. It might have been. But it's like the most wild. But Mariah and I, when we were living in that part of town, we would just like stop and stare at this like wild design. I think it's H. Lorenzo. Yeah, uh, Lo- I think it is. Lorenzo. There's one in... It's like the most beautiful trash bags I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely H. Lorenzo. My yeah. internet's not working right now. So, right. Uh, Yeah, however, Gruen figured out how to lure customers inside with amazingly appealing window displays. Gruen argued that good design equaled good profits. The more beautiful the displays and surroundings, the longer consumers were willing... The, the longer consumers are are willing to want to stay to shop. Okay, that there's a typo there. Anyway, the more time shoppers spend in a store, the more they will spend. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's always true. I, I think that often that's true if you create a good customer experience. But now I think the the opposite has happened because we've so we, we, we face this un- overabundance. We now face the paradox of choice. Yeah. And so there are times, man, I remember shortly after our documentary came out, I 
wanted to buy a five-gallon thing of water mm-hmm. in Missoula. And so I went to the good food store. They were all out. Mm-hmm. Uh, they I just wanted to keep in the basement, by the way. Like, yeah. this, this is was like, okay. It's just for one. It was after watching Zero Days. Yeah. 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 Which I watched that night quickly. It was like... Can I get like a hand crank generator? <laughs> it's a scary documentary. And some grenades. And some grenades. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and I was, uh, so I went looking at different places. I went to Albertsons. They didn't have it. I went to the natural grocers. They didn't have it. Eventually, I ended up at Walmart. And it's winter. It's cold outside. It's winter in Montana, so it's snowing. And I'm at Walmart, and it was shortly after. It was like, I think it's either right before or right after Christmas. Our documentary had come out, and it had blown up on Netflix, right? Mm-hmm. And there's, I probably got recognized a dozen times in Walmart. Mm. And they're like, what is the minimalist doing at Walmart? And I'm like, I swear, I'm just getting water. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so I'm trying to, to buy this water, but then there's like all these different options. And I just freaked out because there are people like saying stuff to me. And I just left. Yeah. Because I... I was overstimulated. So I think the other lesson there is if you overstimulate people, uh, that that's a way to... You can prevent them from buying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so that stress you feel when you're shopping, that is an indicator that maybe you shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. Maybe there's a better way to do this, right? Yeah. Gruen stated by making store uh, started by making storefronts all over the country. And in his travels across the United States, Gruen saw how much time... Americans spent riding around in their cars, cut off from the city and from each other. This was especially true in the suburbs. The suburbs lacked what sociologist Ray Oldenburg calls third places. And we've heard this term now. We, uh, Starbucks sort of recoined it as third space, right? Mm. So the uh, home is the primary space and work is the secondary space. Then the third place is anywhere else someone goes to be around other people, to build community, to hang out, to feel connected. Gruen wanted to give the American suburbs that third place. I could, you could actually argue in a way that the Starbucks culture or coffee shop culture in general, which you and I are a part of, I love hanging out at coffee shops. I I really, I mean, before this whole pandemic, my favorite activity is every other Thursday, Bex and I take off every other Thursday, put on the calendar, do not disturb. And in the morning, we'll just like grab Paris Review or the New Yorker or whatever we're reading at the time and go to our favorite breakfast spot, scrape the mold off their jam. (laughs) (laughs) So unfortunate about them. (laughs) Our favorite restaurant in the world got caught up in a scandal. I'm not going to belabor the point here, but Google Squirrel, it's spelled S-Q-I-R-L. Yeah. I'm still mold. I'm still gonna squirrel eat mold. Ah, molds, little mold's good for you. That's true. Uh, if, it's, if it's the right mold, that's actually there's science behind this. The right, a little of the right mold is good for you. Yeah. Um, anyway, there was this this whole scandal. But I'll tell you what. Here's what. Here's how I'll defend squirrel. Is their owner gave the best apology state, statement I've ever read. Mm. So maybe uh, Google uh, uh, Sean. You can put this in the show notes. Squirrel owner apologizes. There, there's an article. Uh, I think it's in Delish. Uh, is is the name of the organ in mm. which it was published? Anyway, uh, there are these third spaces. Yeah, and that, are, that are really relaxing. It's 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 away from home. It's away from work. It's communal. Yeah, and and I actually think that it's replacing in many instances the church. It's something I really love about the churches, especially in places like like um, Los Angeles. Uh, I'm not a member of of any church here, but the 
the right across the street we have mosaic or yeah. erwin mcmanus's church and while they're not open during during covid right now they are they're one of these third spaces as well yeah and now that's what grew and so i said look i'm trying to connect people in this third space mm-hmm. and so the suburbs really really lack this third space so victor grew imagined designing an environment full of greenery and shops an indoor plaza which could be an island of connection in the middle of the sprawl i love this like how well, it's like anything, man. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and some of the drawings here, like he's got these amazing drawings, like medical center, education center, industrial center, amusement center, yeah. office center, financial center, shopping center. Look at that. The shopping center is just one tiny, one little, tiny little piece of it. Yeah. And then the cultural center, the civic center. I mean, yeah. This is a. Uh, he calls it the suburban labyrinth. And then, and then the greedy people were like. Hey, J. Crew. Yeah, this is genius. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just take uh, that Civic Center and turn it into the J. Crew Center. Yeah. <laughs> the Education Center, let's make that a Sears. Yeah. All right. Anyway, uh, uh, going on, uh, one would one that would get people out of their cars and in order to walk and stroll within them. So he has this other, the, the vicious cycle. Sprawl goes to increase use of automobiles, which leads to decreased use of public transportation, which leads to separata- uh, separation of urban functions, which leads to increased road surfaces, which leads to more sprawl. And it's just like this vicious cycle yeah. of, of, of this. And he was trying you know, to stop that, right? I actually, this article, I mean, because it kind of struck me as depressing at first. Mm. It's actually kind of encouraging, especially when you go over that cycle, because I feel like Actually, we were just talking about this before we started recording this, Sean, Jordan, and I, about how we are going through some growing pains, but I think we're learning how to be more communal. Mm -hmm. And maybe there is a little bit of hope of like, like the Dayton Arcade might be a great example of what a mall actually should be. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, because when we start to see these cycles, when we start to see things being used wrong, my hope is that it creates different behaviors moving forward. I, I hope so, and and it's a, it's a possibility, I guess. I well, mean. that's when we were talking about the fluidity of this whole thing. Is yes, the this whole the Gruen Mall failed not because it failed, but because we we failed. failed, yeah. And so, for us to succeed, we need to succeed. We need to demand better. Yes. And how do we demand better? It's with whatever few resources we have. Well, what mm-hmm. what is it? That's our money for sure. Yeah. But it's also our time. Where are we spending our time? Yep. And if we stop spending our time at these these bastions of consumerism Mm -hmm. then they start to die yeah and that's not necessarily a bad thing yeah and 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 i'm not i don't i didn't want the whole covid thing to happen so the stat on that is staggering so since 2000 uh well since 2002 the mall or online shopping has increased one percent a year Every year, so it's it takes up one percent of the pie, e- additional each year. So now online shopping is eight was eight before the co- before COVID pandemic was eighteen percent of all shopping was online. Okay, and eighteen years before that, it was functionally zero. Right, I mean, it was next to nothing. Right, yeah. in the grand scheme of things, it was less than one percent. And so, uh, imagine that change. But since COVID hit in the first just in the first three months it increased 10 more percent. We had 10 years of acceleration in less than a year. 
Now, what does that do? That means a lot of these companies that were going to go out of business five, six, seven, eight years from now, they're going out of business now. And I hate to see that because that's a a growing pain that is, that is too difficult. It's hard to adjust for. Right. And and that's like a, it's like a tidal wave. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, And it's, it's hard to to sort of navigate that. Whereas if, if you worked for Sears and we were confident they were going to go out of business over the next decade, you can at least plan, start to plan around that. Yeah. It's like, uh, the ocean rising is a problem, but if you can see it rising, you can kind of plan ahead. Yes. Yeah. But then you have like a tsunami hit or a, or a tidal wave hit or, uh, yeah. Is it a tsunami? What's the, what's the one that just, yeah. Tsunamis calls tidal waves, right? Yeah. 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 Anyway. Yeah. When you, uh, when you have that hit, it's, you can't plan for that. Yeah. And that, you know, it causes a lot of destruction immediately. Absolutely. All right. So Gruen presented his solution for America. He called it the shopping mall. Gruen's mm. full vision for the mall was more than just shops. He imagined them as mixed-use facilities with apartments, offices, medical centers, childcare facilities, libraries. And since it was the 1950s, bomb shelters. Which was actually really practical then, right? <laughs> yeah. like, I don't know what we would do now. What would be the equivalent now? Like, a bomb shelter? A meditation room, maybe? Like, oh, right, yeah. We, it's nice. There's some airports that we go through, like uh, John Wayne Airport, I think, has a meditation room. San Francisco has a meditation room. Um, That's some West Coast stuff right there. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's for sure. Atlanta has a smoking room. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Dude, every time I walk past oh, that. Oh, it looks, it looks like hell. And like, they all look miserable. Really There's not one like person hell. in there. Like, Usually I look at people smoking and I'm like, God, they're getting so much pleasure out of that. Like, yeah. It makes me want to smoke. But it then I. so cool. Yeah, right. <laughs> then I walk past the room in Atlanta. I'm like. They're like trapped in their own personal hat. Like no one wants to be yeah, in there. It really does. I mean, yeah. it, it looks stunningly miserable. Yeah. Anyway, Gruen wrote theoretical sketches of shopping malls long before he ever built one. But for a long time, none of his ideas came to fruition. Then in 1952, the owner of Dayton Company, which is now Target, I, I'm almost certain of that, mm-hmm. uh, commissioned him to build the very first indoor climate-controlled shopping center. It would be in... Edina, Minnesota. Is it Edina? Edina? I'm sorry, Minnesotans. Uh, Southdale Center opened in 1956. He's probably so excited. Like, oh, this is going to become something. Look at it. I mean, look, it it's, looks stunning. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's this, if, if you look at the, the wow. photo of this, it's this mid-century Gorgeous. modern work of art. It's yeah. beautiful. It's a community center. Yeah. And he's, yeah, and he's I like, I want to hang out there. Yeah. He's like, look, it's starting. And then they're like, yeah, we're just, this isn't going to evolve past the shopping mall. It's just going to be a shopping mall. Have you guys heard of Spencer gifts? Oh my goodness. Hot <laughs> topic. <laughs> All right. So it's called the Southdale center. Uh, Southdale center opened in 1956. That's the first shopping mall. And so when we were talking about the arcade earlier, arcade, the Dayton arcade opened, I believe in 1904. Yeah. And, and so it wasn't a mall. There weren't, there wasn't such thing is a mall Mm. it was this community uh mixed use space actually it was very similar to what they're talking about here right it feels like dayton was just 50 years ahead right uh, strangely um anyway it opened 1956 what gruen emphasized and what the media would would celebrate was the massive center court which is the picture i just showed you i would argue that dayton is like the center of innovation isn't that like their slow like used to be their slogan or something yeah Yeah. so i think it was called 
uh, what was the slogan? Dayton patented or or anyway, or, like yeah, the most patents were in Dayton. Like there's a lot of stuff. I think it might still Dayton. hold the 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 record for most, most patents, patents yeah. for, for a city. Yeah, Dude, yeah. Wright Brothers are from there. Yeah, the cash register was invented there. Yeah. Anyway, ATM, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um. Anyway, uh, there was a massive center court covered in skylight, which was supposed to mimic a town square. Gruen's subsequent malls were all mostly based off this original Edina design. And the center court became a hallmark of shopping mall architecture. Southdale Center was, wasn't quite mixed use like Gruen imagined. People didn't live there, and there were no daycare centers or post offices. But Southdale did have local shops of all kinds and plenty of shoppers. My goodness. This, is, this reminds me. So used to manage a retail store in, in Dayton called The Green when, oh, when, yeah. when it opened up. When they started building that, I was like, what the hell are they doing? Yeah, yeah. And, because one mall sounds great. Like one mall is like, wow, that sounds like a unique thing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm not saying it's a good thing, but I'm just saying like from the public eye, like I, that's why it was bustling and busy when this thing first opened up because it was a unique experience. Well, when you make 20 unique experiences within, you know, a 20-mile radius, it ain't so unique anymore. Right. You start to cannibalize each other. Yeah, and it's fascinating because I I managed stores in a lot of these malls that I watch videos of now. And, I mean, the Tri-County Mall, I had a store outside of the Tri-County Mall. Mm -hmm. Um, Four Northgate Mall is damn near abandoned. It was like our second busiest store in the company. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, Forest Fair Mall. I had a, a kiosk there. Um, Middletown is that the video I got to watch? The Middletown Mall. Uh, one? Middletown one, yeah, it's that's rough. Uh, um, <laughs> I I remember like that being like we talked about earlier, being like a hot spot to go hang out. We'd walk around, we'd hang out. Yeah, it was it was great. Um, it felt like a flea. Like when I left Ohio, it just felt like an indoor flea market. Yeah, it's yeah. like Trader's World should have taken that over. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you probably remember this. There was a second mall in Middletown. Uh, called the City Center Mall. It was downtown Middletown. Oh, yeah. I didn't really... Yeah, I, I do know about it. I um, went there as a kid. Uh, because you know, my mom's from, from that... For yeah. she, she grew up in Middletown. Yeah. And um, the that mall was sort of like... Uh, it was abandoned, I think, in the early 90s. Yeah, when AK went out, right? Uh, well, yeah, when they were bought by... Who were they bought by? Um, but yeah, AK Steel. No, was they were Armco. They were bought by AK Steel. AK oh, yeah. Steel was bought by someone else recently. Anyway, anyway, back to this. Yeah. Uh, from the outside, Southdale Center is not much to look at. It looks like a mall, an ominous, amorphous, boxy shape. In designing the shopping malls, Gruen ended his razzle dazzle storefronts, <laughs> and <laughs> he was razzle dazzling before it was cool. <laughs> he ended it though, uh, and window displays. Southdale hardly has exterior windows at all. The draw now is what's inside the mall. Gruen wants his shopping centers to have blank faces with no signage on them. <laughs> wink, wink. Uh, that customers, uh, consumers, w- would then enter and be dazzled by the interiors. Malls are suburban pilgrimage sites, which, of course, Americans had to drive to. Gruen knew that Americans loved to drive, so the mall was his compromise. Shoppers had to walk once inside, but they could drive over. For better or worse, Gruen was right. Americans loved driving to his malls. Mm. He got commissions for them all over the country. So people were asking him, that's a great mall you you did. We need to build one here, right? Uh, And so over time, Gruen saw 
that in erecting these malls, he was draining life from the actual cities. Uh, you can make that. Here's the irony of the. So you're talking about the Middletown Mall, mm-hmm. which is ironically in Franklin, Ohio. <laughs> technically, I didn't realize right? that. Yeah, yeah. And, and so it's not in Middletown proper by like a block. Okay. And it, I think it was intentional for tax purposes or whatever. Anyway, so it's right off the highway, right? Mm-hmm. And so people would drive there. They drive to the Middletown Mall from all the surrounding places and from Middletown. And people stop going downtown Middletown. Downtown Middletown, Ohio. Middletown's a big city for those of you who listen to this. It's yeah. it's 60,000 people maybe. So it's not this tiny place. But it had this really nice downtown mm-hmm. that is staggeringly empty now. Yeah. If you want to read a great book about it, uh, Hillbilly Elegy is... It, it, it doesn't have to be about Middletown. It could be about anywhere. It's one of the best books I've ever read. Yeah. It's like one, if there are six books I wish I would have written, it's one of them. And uh, it's by J.D. Vance. It's a phenomenal account of that city, but that downtown, I mean, when's the last time you went to downtown Middletown? Dude, I've only been maybe twice. That's amazing. Yeah. See, I, I've been down there a lot because Jerome and I used to hang out there because he had family over there. Yeah. Um, like but, I, so one time I got lost and I ended up downtown. And another time, <clears throat> I went to go get some suspension work done for this drifting car, this old 240, this <laughs> Nissan 240SX I used to have. Um, and it was it happened to be like right next to downtown. But, okay. But yeah, I, I never went down there in, uh, intentionally to be like, I'm going downtown Middletown. Well, there, literally, there's abandoned skyscrapers down there. Now, their skyscrapers are 11 stories or whatever, but how haunting is that? Dude, it's, yeah, the downtown is just like every, it's a bunch of boarded up yeah. shops, basically. Now, they're, they're actually, there's this great, I've been reading about it because I still subscribe to the Dayton Daily News, but... Uh, they have been revitalizing downtown. They've been turning. There's actually some businesses cool. that are finally opening up there. Nice. They filmed Hillbilly Elegy. Uh, it's, it's being directed by Ron Howard. It was directed by Ron Howard. Mm. And there's pictures of him like hanging out downtown Middletown. I hope, well, it probably would have come out this year if it weren't for the, the, oh, for the pandemic. Yeah. yeah. But I hope it comes out next year. It's a, such a great book. Yeah, but they filmed it in Middletown. Anyway, back to the article here. So for a time, Gruen got involved in urban renewal projects. Uh, drawing directly on some of the lessons learned in his suburban shopping malls and applying them to struggling downtown. So the irony of this is like he killed a downtown, so now he had to go try to fix the downtowns with his architecture. Mm. Gruen turned city centers into pedestrian-only spaces full of public art and greenery and lined with shops. He made plans for Boulder, Fresno, Fort Worth, and Kalamazoo. The Kalamazoo plan became the first outdoor pedestrian shopping mall in the United States. Gruen even had a concept for a pedestrian mall in New York and actually got Manhattan to close down Fifth Avenue for a couple weeks as a test. A city's downtown, however, is not a mall. Mm. It's not easily fixed and controlled. American cities weren't going to become the pleasant, sterile shopping environments that Gruen wanted. In 1968, Gruen moved to Los Angeles, moved from Los Angeles back to Vienna, Back to the greenery and plazas he had been trying to imitate, but he could not escape his own creation. A shopping mall was being built on the edge of town. In Gruen's mind, Vienna was already perfect. It didn't need a mall the way the broken American suburbs suburbs did. (laughs) He came to America, broke it, Uh (laughs) and left. As he saw it, his original vision had been totally skewed. About 10 years after his return to Vienna, Gruen gave a speech in which he declared, I refuse to pay alimony for these bastard developments. (laughs) Oh, my God. uh, Victor Gruen, the mall maker, became 
the foremost mall critic. Meanwhile, America's love affair with malls continued for a time. From the 1960s to about the 1990s, it was cool to go to the mall. Literally, it might have been the only air-conditioned place in town. That was one thing in the summers. Like, yeah. We'd go to the mall to get air conditioning. That was awesome. Yeah, it makes me think, like, how much energy does it take to keep a mall oh. Mall's climate mm-hmm. the way, yeah, like that perfect 72 degrees. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a lot. <clears throat> Definitely a lot. Yeah. Uh, before we lived and uh, before we lived and worked in air-conditioned, climate-controlled environments, the mall was a special escape from the heat and cold. Now, after days spent indoors, shoppers want to go outside, and popular tastes have veered away from the indoor mall. Man, look at this photo, Ryan. How perfect is that? Dude, Yeah, that's any mall in America. Yeah, it's a it's a it's wayfinding signage, but it's it's empty. Yeah. I I walked through the Upper Valley Mall last time I was back in Ohio. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever been there. Never it's, been. In, it's in Springfield. Okay. And it was daunting. And the I it, uh, there was basically this photo there. Uh-huh. And it was uh the funny thing is they had it was still open. There were still a couple shops there. And you know how like these magazine stands, like auto traders and stuff? Mm-hmm. There was one that was like Springfield Valley or it was the Valley or something. Mm-hmm. Our friend Griffin House was on the cover of this magazine <laughs> in this abandoned mall. Oh, I'm like, uh, this is like perfect. Yeah. Um, there's something there. He's from Springfield. So those, that, those things, what do you call them? Waypoints? Wayfinders. So yeah. wayfinders, they used to be for maps. Uh-huh. Growing up, that's where you went for maps. And what, marketers did they're like oh we know people come to these things yep to look at the maps so what we'll do is we'll just put these all over the mall people are looking for a map but instead we'll get them with ads exactly drives me crazy like sometimes because sometimes like it started out where it was just maps mm-hmm. and then uh you would go and uh you would have um like one side of it a map and now like sometimes you go and like the whole thing it's meant to make you think it's a map but there's no map there like they do that at the mall right down the street here in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to finish this up. The article is pretty long here and oh actually it's it's getting close to the end. Mall construction peaked in 1990 and the last brand new standard conventional mall in the United States was built in 2006. That's wrong now and I'll, it was correct when this article was written. Mm. Uh, a new product has entered the scene, a kind of shopping center that the International Council of Shopping Centers Calls a lifestyle center. The international. That's the, that's the green shopping centers. So wow. the green is a lifestyle center, right? It's outdoor so, shopping. Yeah, and there's apartments there. Yeah, and there are businesses there. Right. And are there community? I don't. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's sort of. The, the, so the I'm trying to think the like laugh factory is there. Oh yeah, okay, that's true. Uh, and um, there are restaurants, there are bookstores, and and it, there is a community center there yeah. as well the problem with that's where we had a race in high heels oh yeah you remember that walk a mile in her shoes or something yeah who, we did it for charity yeah you, you came in second place i did you come beat in second like place. 200 men <laughs> Ryan running Drew, in stilettos he runs faster in high heels <laughs> dude you remember the blisters i got oh it was so bad oh my god i, I had to go to the little ambulance to mm-hmm. get that's why i got second place is because after that first race I was like, oh, my feet hurt a little bit. And I looked down, I was like, oh, my God. Like, I had no idea mm-hmm. you could get blisters like this <laughs> from wearing high heels. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. It's not, not advisable. Anyway, yeah. So uh, the reason why I bring that up is because I do remember having some communal activities at the green. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not – it wasn't 
bad. First time I took Bex, yeah. well, the only time I've ever taken her to Dayton, we went to the Green because there's a really great Turkish restaurant there called Pasha. It's really good. Uh, great and, baklava. Uh, yeah, it was probably <laughs> the best meal we had while we were in town besides really Thai 9, yeah. um, which is always the best meal in town. Right. Anyway, um, it peaked in 1990, lifestyle centers, blah, 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 That's lifestyle centers. Is, yeah. yeah, and we won't get into the whole lifestyle center thing, but I do want to talk to you about, so Ryan, you and I have spoken in the largest mall in North America. Yes. It's called the West Edmonton Mall. Yes. And, and you know, it's funny. I remember when we got that venue, because there's a bookstore in there, uh-huh. and I just remember thinking like, we are such hypocrites for going to a mall and trying to gather people around to talk about minimalism, like right in the middle. And it literally was in the middle of consumerism. Right, and because the, we had too many people show up, so we had to do it in the middle of the mall, where they like, mm-hmm. in one of the hallways where they have like a this stage set up with chairs and stuff. So we're literally, yeah, yeah. in the middle of the mall. Yeah. The largest mall in North America. It's bigger than the, than the Mall of America. Yeah, but then I remember someone calling us out on that. And you had the best response and really helped with my perspective. You were just like, where would we go? Like to a monastery full of monks? Yeah. Like, is that where we're going to go spread the message of living with less? Right. Like, isn't being in the belly of the beast the best place to go? And, it, you know, looking at it that way, it's it absolutely is the place to be because that's where people need the help the most, I guess. Yeah, and, and we weren't there trying to proselytize anyone. No. What I was simply trying to do there is, this is 2013 we were giving that talk, mm-hmm. we... We're trying to say, say, here's our message. We're putting this message up against the message of consumerism. And we're literally side by side with consumerism right now. Mm-hmm. You get to decide which one is more appealing to you. And you know what? I think a lot of people, I think most people are contented with the consumeristic status yeah. quo. And mm-hmm. if you are, then great. Minimalism probably isn't for you. Simplifying isn't for you. But if you feel some sort of discontent, then maybe consider that message alongside consumerism and see which one's better for you. Now, the company who owns... The West Edmonton Mall also owns the Mall of America. Which is in Minnesota, right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah which is the largest mall in America. Yeah. And uh, the company's called Triple Five. And they have been building, well, they, they weren't the original builders of it, but they, oh, this is like unfortunate timing, but it's so ironic. In fact, let's put a link to this in the show notes. There is a Bright Sun Films just did something about the mall, it's a, it, right outside New York. It's in New Jersey. Uh, it's right, right by MetLife Stadium, which is where the Giants and the Jets play, I mm-hmm. believe, uh, at football. And, and it's called, this mall is called The American Dream. <laughs> and it's the... Just imagine them like... 20 story high white picket fences <laughs> <laughs> it kind of is strangely that the 100,000 square foot garage <laughs> <laughs> yep yeah I, oh wow so so here's the thing if, so it was originally owned by the mills corporation who mm. built forest fair mall uh, okay and, and so they built these giant malls they had the mills corporation is really in trouble um mm. and triple five is in trouble as well um i think they just missed the last uh Maybe I'm maybe Millstones. No, I think it's Triple Five. Anyway, um, I, I'm familiar with all of these because because of the the real estate days back when we we did retail, mm-hmm. and I actually negotiated lease with with some of these these places. Anyway, um, uh, thanks to Carl, our, our friend Carl. Right. And, and and so the the Mall of America has missed I think their last three rent payments, like their or bank payments, not rent. It's the mortgage payments on. And Is it? Um is it because of COVID? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Triple five is $5 billion in debt right now. Oh my gosh. 
Make it quadruple five. Dude, this is, it's scary to me to see like the stock market coming back because I feel like it's destined for like another, I mean, not that I, you know, live life how, how the stock market is doing. It's just, it's a representation of how, how people's finances are basically. It's not though. And I think that's, that's why we, Crystal Ball, well, she, she had the best yeah. and that's her real name. She's from the Hill. She had this, she said the stock market is a graph of rich people's feelings. Well, no, what what I look at it, yes, I agree with that. And what is the, like less than 5% of people have money in the stock less market. Than 10, yeah. yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is, is like the, if the economy is taking a dump, um, it is because people are having trouble uh, with their, it just says to me that people are having trouble with their bills. So you're saying the stock market could be down. It has nothing to do with people paying their bills. I'm saying they aren't correlation or they're not closely correlated. Okay. It's just, yeah. yeah. Okay. And I think it's, I think at once upon a time they were, it just makes me think about the economy taking a dump is what it, well, our economy is. I mean, we're, we're, here's which the might thing. Be, which might be a good thing. We're heading into a depression. That's not a good thing. That's really what I'm getting at. Like, yeah. yeah like I feel like that's where we're heading. No, there's no question that we are. Every yeah. indicator says that we are. Mm. And, and so, there's some things that we, we need to think about uh, with respect to this. And, and there's, this is the final nail in the coffin for a lot of these places. Hmm. Uh, patrons, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the quarantine conversation I did with Carl Widener because we talked about these, um, what he calls platinum properties. There are so, mm-hmm. some properties that will be fine. Mm-hmm. Kenwood Mall in, in Cincinnati will be fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Grove in uh, whereas West Hollywood or wherever Beverly Grove sure. will be fine, uh, Century City Mall will be fine, a- and uh, it's weird because those places actually don't freak me out as much going to either because they are outdoor and they're in Los Angeles, so I can go to uh, the Century City Mall. You and I went there last time. We went to the Annenberg Space for for photography. Went oh, to yeah. the blue. They have a blue bottle in the mall, yeah. and but it doesn't feel as panicky because it's still outdoors and, and, and fresh and air. Yeah. yeah. Nice natural lighting. Right. Yeah. But it's still, it's still a mall. Uh, I yep. actually went there, our friend Ben Greenfield, who was just here. Um, uh, actually he'll be on the podcast next week. He, um, he did a book signing there and he did a talk there. I went there with doc green. You weren't in town for it. Mm-hmm. I think no, but, um, it was great. I, w- I would definitely do a book event there. There's yeah. an Amazon bookstore there even. Yeah. And so I-, I would do an event there and it was out in the middle of the mall. I, would- I wouldn't have a problem doing that. I'm not against these spaces. I'm against overindulgent consumerism and that's where, or that- that's actually, a, 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 that's redundant. Um, consumerism is overindulgent. I mean, I'm against overindulgent consumption. And, and so I think that with these malls, what we have to realize is we can reclaim them. Mm-hmm. We can still buy stuff. I buy stuff. You buy stuff. Right. I'm not against buying stuff. Yeah, we're not advocates for people not buying anything. Yeah. yeah. And I think what we'll see, and we have some questions about this, we'll answer in a second. We'll, we'll, we might start to see these turn into more experience-based places I hope as, so. as, as well. Now, real quick, uh, before we end on that American Dream note, Ryan. Oh, yeah. So that this mall, I believe it's now the second largest mall in America. Mm-hmm. And they started in. They started building it in the oddies, like around oh three oh four is when the plan started, and then in oh eight it was like ninety percent done, and the crash happened. Oh my god! And it just sat there for years. Wow. And, I, Ryan, there 
there are snow hills inside. Like you can go skiing inside this mall. It's that. It's that big. Wow. You can literally go skiing in this mall. So, and then eventually, Triple Five ended up acquiring it, and the thing was supposed to cost uh, about one point three billion dollars to make, I believe. Anyway, check out the Bright Sun, Bright Sun Films uh, YouTube video about it. We'll put a link to it in the oh, show I notes can't wait because to see that. it's it's it goes through the whole construction and it finally got everything together. They did a little soft open, but guess when it opened? Hmm. March of 2020. Oh my god! And it's... it costs five billion dollars oh to open, to build. It's like five billion. And, like... Oh, and they had to put up as collateral. The West Edmonton Mall and the Mall of America in order to finish it. I feel like destiny is just not, or fate is not on their side, whatever it is, man. There's something like preventing them. Yeah. <laughs> Which, again, like all this bad, all these bad things happening, hopefully we can learn from it. Yeah. And, there, and act differently moving forward. And this might be a giant waste. There's a, there's a water park inside it. A water park. There's skiing, there's roller coasters. Uh, Pretty much all the non-essential activities that you're not allowed to do right now. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, it's all indoors. Oh my the God. one place we're not allowed to go is indoors with other people, right? Yeah. So, yeah, check it out. I think it's it's illuminating. I'm going to skip past the Overmauled Cincinnati series, but mm-hmm. we will put a link to that in it's a great series, the, the show notes. Uh, check that out. We've got a bunch of surprise questions here. Let's start with Nathan. I haven't been to a mall in years, and the times I have gone have been to buy something from a store that also doubled as the entrance. I'd rather have a more decentralized situation myself. Why were they ever popular in the first place? So we kind of went through the, the history of it. Mm-hmm. They were popular because they, were, they pro- did provide that third space. And now the question is, can they still be a third space for people without consumerism? And I think the answer to that is yes. I think malls as they stand today, the reason I don't go into the Beverly Center is it's more overwhelming than say the Grove. If I go to the Grove, if I really need to to go to one of these two places, which I don't ever need to go to a mall for anything anymore. Mm -hmm. But if I need to go somewhere, I would go to the Grove before I went to the Beverly Center just because it's a better experience and it's less overwhelming, it's less stimulating. Mm -hmm. And so I think Ultimately, that's what we're going to have to do. We have to create these third spaces that are the opposite of stimulating. The coffee house third space is relaxing. It's calming. The music, there's everything about it makes you feel good, makes you want to relax. That's the better third space, I think. But think about um, our friend Kevin Rose. You know, he runs that company called Oak. And the reason he moved to Portland is he's doing the Peloton model. I don't know if you know about this, no. but he's doing the Peloton model for meditation. So oh, his awesome. app, the Oak app, mm-hmm. are meditating classes like Peloton mm-hmm. where you're all gathered in a class together. Right, a virtual class. But it's a virtual class, which yeah. is great right now because, um, well, we can't go to a meditation center mm. Uh, for for the time being. And there is something cool about meditation centers that like it forces you to actually do the meditation. You show up with other people and 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 you sit on the pillow and and sort of do the 30-minute meditation. I like the idea of meditation cla- classes because what we're really talking about is accountability. Yeah. No, so I maybe don't. if we created some accountability spaces, we'd be in a, a much better place right now. Yeah. Michael has a question for us. 
I would love to hear discussion about preservation as it relates to dead malls. Retail design is so often considered ephemeral or disposable, but makes up a huge part of our culture. So we already talked about what you can do with some of these spaces, whether it's um, turning them into housing, temporary, or even long-term housing for homeless, which I would love to, to see much more of that. I think that'd be the best use of many of these yeah. spaces, uh, as long, especially as long as there were services there as well. If we I was a billionaire, I would invest in a dead mall this to try and do something like that i think yeah i love that idea it'd be, it'd be so great and I, I would love to see our government step so bezos up and, if and you're listening that. to this uh, yeah, do he, something good i don't know if you've ever, ever seen his wealth actualized mm -mm. Uh, or, or visualized oh, yes i have where it's like yeah have you seen with grains of rice yes it's like yeah you start off with a pile of rice and then it's like a warehouse full of rice yeah, so, so if one piece of rice is a hundred thousand dollars yeah 10 kernels of rice is a million, is a million right? Yeah, yeah. You and I would love to have a million dollars. We're not against 10 money. kernels of rice. Right. I'm, well, because it enables us to do amazing things for yeah, others. Right. Yeah. Right. So think about this. So 100 kernels of rice mm -hmm. is $100 million. 100 kernels of rice is $10 million. But I'm with you. No, no, no. Oh, okay. Well, you know, you know, you're right. You're right. Yeah, it's okay. $10 million. It's $10 million, right? Okay. Um, so... Think about $1 million, though. This is a maths podcast, by the yeah, way. It is. <laughs> Get out the abacus. <laughs> He's right here. So so think about having a million dollars, which is a phenomenal amount of money. We all have the ability to make a million dollars if we live in the developed world, if you're saving $25 a week from the time you're 18 mm -hmm. with uh, regular um, investing. Yeah. If you want the math on that, check out Love People Use Things when it comes out. Mm -hmm. Anyway, there is... And by the way, I'm saying that as a person who's not a millionaire, and neither are you, right. but we have the opportunity to be by the time I don't we know, According retire. to Google, you're pretty rich, man. According to Google, I have $125 million. <laughs> How many grains of rice is that, Ryan? <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's 1,000 a, a grains of rice for 100 million. So yeah, somewhere around, you know, a little over 1,000 grains of rice. Yeah, so 1 million, 10 grains of rice. Mm -hmm. Do you know how many grains of rice that Jeff Be Bezos has? How many? 56 pounds. Oh my God. It's unbelievable. 56 pounds of rice. Yeah. You could fill the whole table. Yes. You could make, Ryan, you could make half a million dollars a year, which is no one's salary ever. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry, half a billion. Half a billion dollars a year. Oh, my God. That's more than LeBron James makes. That's yeah. More. You could make half a billion dollars a year every year, and it would take you almost 300 years to make as much money as Jeff Bezos has. That's unbelievable. Yes. And it's one day this year, his his net worth increased by $13 billion, yeah, with a B, yeah. dollars. We, our tiny little minds can't grasp this, right? Yeah. So He's so, heading to be the first like trillionaire, right? Yeah, he might be. He yeah. might end up being a trillionaire. Um, wow. Which isn't just, it's fascinating. Anyway, um, I, I, I say okay. all, all that to mm -hmm. say that I would love to see those spaces reused in that way. I'd love to see them especially reused as homeless spaces, but then also what the Dayton Arcade is doing. We won't rehash that, but mm -hmm. this was fascinating. This part of the question. Retail design is so often considered ephemeral or disposable. Mm -hmm. What makes up a huge, uh, but, but it makes up a huge part of our culture. Well, I've got this graph for you, Ryan. Yeah. It, he makes a great point though. Cause like you look at the first mall design, it was gorgeous. It was beautiful. And you look at the, you know, the Middletown Mall, and it's like, here's a box with a bunch of stores in it. Yeah. But even the Middletown Mall it has... It looks disposable. It, it does. But 
even the but especially the malls that came after the Middletown Mall, they look even more disposable. Yeah. Middletown Mall at least had that it had the the community center in the middle. Yeah. When I was a kid, we used to to uh, go there and like see Santa Claus and stuff. And I remember one year, Jerome and I, so Jerome must have been 14, I was 13, we were there at the yeah. Middletown Mall. Yeah. And you know, Jerome- He's 40 this year. It, it, yeah, he looked yeah. damn near 40 when he was right. 14 though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we're walking through the mall and I guess they didn't have a Santa Claus. Uh, he called off or he was drunk or something. <laughs> and so they stopped us and, and they're like, uh, excuse me, do you want to be Santa Claus today? We'll pay you. They asked Jerome to be Santa yeah. Claus? And, no way, that's and, awesome. And Jerome looks and goes, man, Santa Claus ain't black. <laughs> the guy didn't know what to say (laughs) wow that's oh i wish he would have done it yeah me too although our friend stan um who happened to be black as well stanta he he used to be stanta claus (laughs) yeah at our corporate events yeah um he was great but yeah Um, um so Apparently, this is the one area where Jerome agreed with Megan Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> Too soon. <laughs> <laughs> it's Patreon. It's fine. All right. All right. This is uh, called retail. We'll put a link to this in the show notes. Retail space per capita in selected countries worldwide in 2018. So this is this before is the, the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Now, the closest country to us is Canada. Okay. And I think they had five square feet. Oh, my goodness. I think wow. the UK had four. Wow. And then from there, it was like Italy was two, and and Vienna was two. So it's kind of like our military. Yeah, <laughs> we are like spending way too much money. Yeah, so so on retail space, the United yeah. States had six, six. Uh, we we had six. Um, or I'm sorry, twenty six square feet per person. So for you, Ryan. So there's what four of us in this room right now. There's a hundred over a hundred square, hundred four square feet mm. of retail space. Yeah. just for the the four of us. And it, if you go to the UK, it's why you're not so overwhelmed with consumerism as you are here. Mm. Canada is very similar. I think Australia and Canada were like two and three because they're little Americas in that respect. But what you're seeing actually in countries like Canada and and Australia and the UK is they've expanded pretty significantly over the last 20, 30 years. And they've caught up with America quite a bit. They still have a long oh, way to go. But they're... But there is, a, you know, our our American dream has permeated their borders. Oh, that is not something that you want to catch up with. No, no. Dorian says, or he has a question for us. Malls are disappearing. Watching sports now seems like a lonesome endeavor. Stars are being called out for hypocrisy by Ricky Gervais. What other beacons of consumerism do you see disappearing or evolving? I like this question because it's it's forward looking and it's not saying how do we maintain the past. Mm-hmm. And yes, things are changing. Malls are, are disappearing. S- watching sports is weird now. The NBA just came back. It's not as weird as I thought it would be. Have you tried to watch a any a moment of baseball since it come it's come back? No. It's so weird because when someone hits a, a fly ball, they have to just pull up and show this empty stadium. They're playing oh, in this giant empty stadium. Yeah. Wow. And and. With basketball, it's it's not that big of a deal, I feel like. But in baseball, it just feels Didn't it feels have, kind of strange. I've seen pictures of like cardboard cutouts of fans and stuff. They're doing that in L.A. It's a, so the Dodgers mm. are doing that. Oh, wow. So you could actually pay to have – you could be one of the cardboard cutouts. I love that. I thought about doing it for the minimalists, <laughs> but I was like, eh, it's like $200. I'm oh, not going to do it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, so, so it's fascinating. And then – I, what the NBA has done is they've done like digital fans, like they have these screens or whatever, because mm. they're in that bubble in Orlando. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, that's much different. And, and also, your your point about stars being called out for hypocrisy. Yeah, uh, that that that's important. I don't know if that has to do directly with consumerism, yeah. but it, it maybe it maybe it's indirectly related. What else do we see disappearing or evolving? Well, I mean, we, it, we've kind of talked clear. about this a little bit. Yeah. yeah, we could talk about it real with quick. Retail and yeah, I think uh, movie theaters. Yeah, I, I think uh, a lot of indoor spaces are going to change pretty significantly. Restaurants uh, are going to be different. Bowling alleys will gyms. be different. Yeah, gyms especially. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's gonna. Uh, I just keep saying, you know, um, eventually we're going to get back to normal like whatever that looks like or like the new normal yeah but yeah there's certainly going to be a new normal where a lot of these uh community spaces indoor spaces will be obsolete or they're going to look a lot different i mean even going to um like verve coffee for example Mm -hmm. like you can't even get in their building now like they have it set up it's just to go yeah exactly i mean there's a couple tables outside we went out we went to a restaurant over uh yeah over the weekend in santa monica and it was just outdoor seating. Yeah. And then yeah, the in, the inside of the restaurant looked completely different. But you know, some of the, I kind of like seeing some of this some of these changes. Like with the gym, like I uh unfortunately have like a little bit left on a contract with the gym that I belong to. Yeah. Because I used to go often. And now I'm like, why do I even why do I have a contract with the gym? Like all I need are some weights and like my exercise bike and I'm good. Yeah. Um, so personally, this has helped me see that like that's an expense that I can totally cut as soon as as soon as I can. Yeah, yeah, and so I think a lot of these things are making us reconsider some stuff. Mm-hmm. And we often hate change, but maybe this is a thing that we needed thrust upon us so that we could embrace some change. Yeah. I know I certainly needed the break early on, and I was I was really thriving back in April specifically when this first when this first happened, and uh, I had overcome covid and april was one of the best months of the last couple of years for me because i've had a really rough last two years mm-hmm. and but at some point we are going to have we are missing out on a connection yeah and i heard erwin mcmanus talk about this recently mm-hmm. he, he was saying like hey look i know that he goes i don't know how much you're prolonging my life but i know you've taken the last five months of of actually living from me. Mm. And I don't know how, if you're really extending my life that much, but we, we can't think about living just as surviving. Right. We have to think about what does it mean to live with purpose and meaning and joy? And, and we can't forever stifle everyone. And so there has to be this detente that we work toward yeah, so that, that allows us to not just survive, but ultimately to thrive. And so ultimately, I think the answer to that question, Michael, is what are the things that are preventing us from thriving? I think those things, if we're intentional, will start to go by the wayside. Dorian has a question for us. Malls are disappearing. Wait, we just read that one. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Yeah. Oh, you told me to read Michael's. I think I read Dorian's instead. <laughs> no, 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 we're good. Uh, Tabitha has a question. Oh, for okay. Us. <clears throat> Do you see malls shifting entertainment epicenters since the younger generations like myself find more value in experiences? Maybe. So uh, Gen Z is changing stuff. Like what they focus on, I feel like it's, it is, it's experiences, it's communal. Um, it is very different. And it's hard to generalize a whole generation, but there are some patterns that you see. Yeah. So, I think that yes, in 20 years, Gen Zers are going to change a lot of how we experience uh, community and how we experience our entertainment. 
Totally agree. Yeah. I, I think Gen Z is, is shaping a lot of the culture right now. Mm-hmm. It's permeating up in a way. Part of that is actually negative. I don't. I don't like to see that because we don't value wisdom right. as much. But um, value, yeah, being a smartass. Yeah, we are in trends <laughs> and uh, whatever. Now I feel old. Those kids are all a bunch of smartasses. Well, I mean, it's weird. You mentioned generations. So, like, you and I are technically, if you base it on the original yeah. demographic. Uh, assertion we're part of Gen X. You are literally the youngest Gen Xer I know. Gen X, Gen X stops right before millennial. Millennial means people who graduated in 2000 or beyond. Yeah. If you, yeah, the original. Like if I Google it, like we're considered Gen, we like were born the year that Gen Y started. Well, yeah, again, so, so, so if you Just look depends at. On, the, the, we the, can claim either side based upon what makes sense for us at the time. Sure. <laughs> and so, so, I mean, to the technical term is zillennial. So mm-hmm. there's this six year period of like this, this cut, the cuspers, mm-hmm. which we are. And, and, but I look at you, uh, you actually, you started school early. So you should have graduated as a, I, as a, in 2000. Right. You, you, so technically you would have been a millennial, right? Gotcha. That's why yeah. I say you're the youngest Gen Xer I know. I see what you're saying. Yeah. And then, and so, but I, I mean, I graduated in, in, in 99. So did you, we are by that definition, we are, are technically Gen Xers. And I, I find myself identifying slightly more with the Gen X generation. Me too. Me too. And, and you know, for whatever reason that might be. And, uh, Eric Weinstein actually does this whole bit about Gen X versus baby boomers. And he has this whole, this big problem right now because baby boomers are the first generation who are really holding on to power for an extended period of time. And they're Mm -hmm. ruining it for millennials and Gen Z. And they're actually really ruining it for Gen X because they're not relinquishing power. Gen X might be the first generation that we have that we never get a president who was a Gen Xer. Oh, wow. We might just bypass Gen X because you have these... I mean, the people who are in office now are boomers or part of the silent generation even, which yeah. is not my parents' generation. Wow. My parents are both part of the, the silent generation. Wow. And and so they're holding for power to power much longer, and not just in politics, but in academia. So it used to be 30 years ago, you'd go into academia, you'd go to the University of Dayton or Cincinnati or wherever, and the president of the company was in, or of the, of the university was in their 40s or 50s. Mm. But now they're all in their 70s, 60s, yeah. 70s, in some cases even their 80s. Yeah. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Hmm. You're not relinquishing. At some point we have to let go. And yeah. this is where minimalism comes into the picture, right? Is we have to be willing to let go when we're no longer serving the purpose. Dude, that is, it reminds me, uh, I was talking about how Mariah and I finally watched Hamilton. Mm. And because uh, it's it's uh, streaming now, and dude, George Washington, the fact that he stepped away, he stepped away from his power, yes, because he knew it was the right thing to do, and he had one or two choices. Like he either started to fall in line and become a crony himself, mm-hmm. or he could be like, I'm going to set an example for what we should do. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you don't see that happening no, too much these days. No, it's admirable, and it yeah. set this beautiful expectation, which, by the way. We didn't even have it as an amendment that there were only two-term presidents right. because everyone just followed suit until right. FDR, yeah. uh, which I, I would argue that was not the best outcome, um, having him for four terms. I think Sean would agree with me on that one. Yeah. yeah. All right. He was four terms, right? He died in his third. I, oh, I thought he died in his fourth. Yeah, he was like two and a half. Uh, he was I thought he was elected three times. He was elected three times. Yeah, so he, he died in the middle of his fourth term. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting that... 
But he was a, the only, only president suit. to have more than two terms. But most people would just be like, they bowed out after two, after eight years, and mm-hmm. then he's the first one that was like, I don't have to bow out. And after that, that's when we changed it. Yeah. We, we have a uh, question from Michelle. After living in Europe, where many shops are closed on Sundays, I would marvel at the malls in the U.S. filled with people. It seemed like shopping was America's religion. Mm. What's the connection between spirituality and consumption, meaning, and materialism? I hmm. I really like what Erwin McManus says about this since we were talking about him. Uh, we interviewed him for our next film. And there's this line that I really hope makes it into the film. I wouldn't share this on the main podcast, but since we're here on Patreon, uh, we can share it. Mm-hmm. He, he talks about, he says, I, I think people, they confuse minimalism with utilitarianism. And the problem with that is beauty is essential. And so right now we're talking about what is essential. We're asking that question. Yeah. And I think when we're answering it, we are accidentally forsaking something that is essential. And that's beauty. And by the way, that's what Gruen was trying to do with the shopping malls mm-hmm. that became his bastard children because corporations ruined it for him. And I'm not anti-corporation. No. I think there's an inherent problem with corporations because by definition, they have a fiduciary responsibility to earn profits. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a such thing called a B Corp. A B Corporation is a type of corporation where they actually have a different responsibility. Their charter involves serving the greater good. And I think there's over a thousand B corporations. It requires a lot to become a B corporation in the United States. And you have to be of a certain size, et cetera. But I, I like this because you don't have money is going to be a driver. But when it stops being the primary driver, then all of a sudden we can start to do something meaningful and we could do something beautiful for the world. So what is the connection between spirituality, consumption, meaning, and materialism? I think when done well, it all involves some sort of a beauty. Now, that could be aesthetic beauty. Mm-hmm. It could be experiential beauty. It can be relational beauty. It can be the beauty of stillness and calm and tranquility. There's beauty in all of this. Mm-hmm. When we strip things down to their essence, the, the, the bones are the beauty. And that's why minimalism is so beautiful. When you follow our side account at Minimalism Life on Instagram, it's the most gorgeous account on Instagram. Well, why is that? Because it's aggressively simple. It's stripped down to its essence. And that's where the beauty is. It's not with all the ornate details. Yeah. I feel like we're just all searching for meaning. Yeah. And unfortunately... Uh, you know, when it comes to materialism, it, we confuse pleasure with meaning. Yeah, we do. And, and so we, we buy things, and then because we confuse that pleasure with meaning, here's what we do. We say, well, sh- man, I spent... I bought the wrong thing. W- right, but... <laughs> or I bought the wrong thing, I'm going to make it the right thing by imparting meaning onto it. Oh, yeah. And so... Even worse. I'm going to yeah. say this thing is meaningful to me. In fact, there's an exercise in our new book where I have people pull out an item and say like, I'm afraid to let go of this t-shirt. I'm afraid to do this, I'm afraid to do that. And, and, and then they say like, well, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that people will not like me for the person that I am. And so like, mm. when you do this, when you start to say these things out loud, 
you realize how ridiculous these feelings that we have, the meaning that we assign to things often are. Yeah. Steve has a question for us. I'd like to see at least one mall turned into a museum of consumerism. What would be some of the exhibits? I think it would start with the the whole Gruen stuff uh, where you could actually highlight the history. I was just, man, you haven't been there yet, but I was at Dave Ramsey's new headquarters yeah. uh, just a, about a month, month and a half ago. Yeah, you sent me a video of it. It's unbelievable. And I didn't even get to send you the best part. But when you walk in there, so it's it's probably the most intentional building that I've ever been in. But there's a, toward the back, there is this, Ramsey Museum is the only thing I could call it. It's a small museum, yeah. but it's a hallway. You walk through, and it's the history. Like on the walls, like the original mixing board he used. Like I can imagine one day if we do the Minimalist Museum, it's like it's just going to be like a picture of Sean with the H6 that we use. <laughs> our our podcast setup is aggressively simple, and mm. we've done that intention. Now, will we maybe have to move beyond that someday? Yeah, if we need a, if we need additional yeah. technical capabilities, I'm not against. As soon as we sign our $50 million deal with Spotify. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> That's the thing. Like uh, WME did come to us and they were like, well, we could get you a deal with Spotify, uh, but you'd have to be willing to read advertisements. Uh, and I'm like, mm, yeah. I can't. I'm sorry. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not even against all advertising. I think there are some, just like I'm not against all malls, but I'm, you're not going to see me opening up a shopping mall either. Yeah. yeah. Right? And, and so... Um, thank you for being a patron because this keeps us advertisement free and, and it yeah. allows us to keeps not us have honest. to do that. Helps us to stay honest, yeah. For sure. Yeah. We, and we're, we're really grateful for that. Mm-hmm. And, and um, where was I going with the... You were talking about the museum. The museum. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I'm walking through Ramsey's studio or through the, their building, through their lobby. Mm-hmm. And there's this whole Ramsey museum of the books and, and the different studios he was in and photo. And so I think part of it would be sort of a celebratory history of of um, what we were able to accomplish with community spaces. But then I think if we're making an honest museum, we're also going to talk about where things went wrong and why it went wrong. We're going to talk about consumerism. We're going to talk about not just the problem with malls, but we built the malls because of the consumer demand. Mm -hmm. And so the problem with us and how we thought materialism was going to fix us. And so I think in a weird way, the consumer museum might actually end with the museum of minimalism. Mm. Interesting. I just imagined a bunch of Tommy Hilfiger outfits from the nineties in that museum. (laughs) (laughs) What a great place to end it. All right, y'all. Thank you so much for being here today. Love people use things. Thank you for your support. Thank you patrons. The Minimalists.